COVID-19 continues to spread across the land. What does this mean for the NBA? Major League Baseball set to return next month. NFL news that is groundbreaking in the AFC East. All that and more on Downtown Sports. I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We are Downtown Sports, where sports come home. Let's dive in. And we're here today. You can hear us on about 80 million different platforms. I think, let me, let me see if I got this down. Let me see if I got this memorized. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Anchor, and and Google Podcasts? Yes. Eight? Eight? Yes. And what's the last one? Oh, God, nine. Damn. Overcast. Huh? Overcast. Overcasts, yes. You can hear us in all of those places, and we're going to get started because we got a special three-part episode. Mm -hmm. In the second part of our show, we're going to talk to Kevin Smith. He is an NBA insider. He's going to tell us everything about what's going on with the NBA, what's going on in Orlando. He's going to explain to John Perriente that J.R. Smith is a pile of trash and he's not going to help anyone. We'll find all that out later. For right now, Shane, we need you to get the clock. Get that clock up, ready to go. Mm -hmm. Start that clock. John, what's our first topic of the day? Where are we going? We're doing NBA in the second part. Are we going MLB or NFL? We're going to go to NFL because we've had a couple of of things have happened over the past few weeks. First, well, the Jets still continue to be at odds with Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams has now demanded to be traded. Adam Gase wants him to stay. Joe Douglas, I'm sure, fighting, wanting him to stay. He doesn't Hold really... on. Adam Gase wants him to stay? Well, I mean... is, that, is that the truth? Are we sure about that? Because I'm pretty sure Adam Gase is the reason why Jamal Adams wants to leave. I'm pretty sure Adam Gase is the reason why Jamal Adams wants to pack up and run out of town. When Todd Bowles was the coach... He made one off statement, kind of threw Bulls under the bus. But aside from that, he was friendly with the media. He was doing yeah. midday radio shows every week. He was very friendly, very out there, never had a problem with anybody. Adam Gaze becomes the coach. All of a sudden, Jamal Adams becomes a problem in the locker room. You've had to have multiple meetings, and now – we seem to be at an impasse where he wants to leave and he wants to leave quickly. So what, why is he, what, what is his reasoning at this point for wanting to leave? It's really all about money that he was promised to be paid. You know, he wants to Adams being the great safety that he is. And he is a great safety. Let's not be. Wasn't he, a fifth, wasn't he the fifth pick in the draft for the Jets? He was number four. Number four. Big draft pick. Yeah. Now. He wants to be one of the highest paid safeties, you know, like Makes all sense. safeties do. They want to be, you know, he plays, he plays well at his position. He wants to be paid that money. It's he a very dangerous that- position on the field as well. You're, when you're tackling people, you're generally running it at, at, at anywhere close to 15 to 20 miles per hour when you're making your hits. And he feels the Jets have been kind of beating him around the bush, not paying him. They've broken their promise that they were going to pay him. So what promise were we speaking about here? Because that, that, that's the thing I keep hearing about is, you know, even though Jamal Adams took the rookie deal, he took it with the expectation that more pay was going to come earlier than the deal provided. They were going to take care of him. He heard the same um, line from McCagnan as he heard from Douglas, as he heard from Gaze, as he heard from Bowles, as he heard from the Johnsons, and nobody seems to be telling him anything. And what is the entire timeline of this story? Because the fact of the matter that we can't even manage to keep the best defensive, the best secondary player, one of the best in football at right now on this team to build around is ridiculous. You have the quarterback, finally. You have the running back, even though you don't know how to use the running back. You still have the running back. Why are you going to take away the third cornerstone of this team? Well, again, the, the Jets need to pay him the money that he deserves. Now, let's go back a little bit. I just pulled up the uh, – the contract situation currently that Jamal Adams has. Now he was 
signed he signed a four year contract back on July twenty second of twenty seventeen worth twenty two million two hundred fifty eight thousand eight hundred and eight dollars. Mm-hmm. His contract is fully guaranteed and includes fourteen million three hundred twenty eight thousand two hundred twenty four in a signing bonus. And he earns yearly roster bonuses at the start of training camp. Okay. So right now under the 2020 deal, and Adams now turns 25 years old this year, mm-hmm. he's at a base salary of 825000 with a prorated bonus of $3,582,056, a roster bonus of $2,765,292, and a guaranteed salary of just over $3.5 million. For this year. So we're talking overall, we're talking overall, he's about to make $9 million, yeah. give or take. Next year, his base salary will be just short of $10 million next year. Remember, he's under contract for another year. So, oh, so Jamal Adams doesn't want to wait till next year to get a lump sum. He wants, and, money, now. He wants yeah. money now. He doesn't want to wait. He wants the money now. But when was he told or promised, according to him, that the Jets were going to give him this magical thing that wasn't written in contract or signed to or agreed to by lawyers? You see, because that's the thing, when you get into contract disputes with your team, you, you sit there and you think to yourself, yes, I understand maybe you signed that contract and you were worth that at that time, but, you know, maybe your values jumped up. What I don't understand is the threaten to trade me or I'm going to sit out or anything like that. If, if anybody worked at any other job and said, well, I decide even though I agreed to get paid this much money per year, with these terms, and I inked my name on that contract, uh, if you decided all of a sudden, like, you know what, you're a milkman, right? And you deliver the best, freshest milk on the planet. And the company that you work for pays you like you are a beginning milkman. If you decided to sit out for your job and say, I demand more money, the company's just going to hire another person. So in real life, that's how that works. Now, I understand contract disputes, labor disputes between unions and people. But if you sign that contract, knowing full well what the terms were, and you said back when you signed it in 2017, I think this is a great deal. Jamal Adams was actually more well-regarded back then than he is now. A lot of people so, are out to be the bad guy right now because of his money situation. He wants Exactly. So his stock is actually decreasing the more, he a- the more he asks for money. So to me, what I feel with the guy, and, and by the way, I actually agreed with Le'Veon Bell sitting out the Pittsburgh situation because that was an entire mess of drama. This, to me, is not that situation unless, unless it really isn't the money. Because generally, a lot of these times, like if it's just the money, you wouldn't see these players sitting out like that. Because basically There's some sort of deeper concern beyond the money. The money seems to be the one thing that they always run to and that everybody always reports on. But there's got to be deeper-seated issues than the money because this was the same money he was making under Todd Bowles when he was playing just as well as in 2017 as he played in 2019. Here's the deal with this. Here's the deal with this. Jamal Adams, like a lot of the young players, particularly he saw how many other younger players around his age We're getting that extra money deal that, hey, you know, they're the franchise of this team. Take, for example, Christian McCaffrey. What, a couple years in the league? Already the best running back in the league now. And he already got awarded the money that he wanted at an early stage. Again, you don't know really where the Panthers are going yet. The Panthers are still kind of a middle-of-the-road franchise. No Cam anymore. We're going to get to Cam, by the way, soon. So where are the Panthers going? Yeah, you're going to have McCaffrey as your cornerstone, but – he gets paid the money, so Jamal Adams thinks I should be paid the same thing. He's seen other safeties and whatever get paid the money that they feel they deserve. So that's why Adams now has come into this saying, well, wait a minute now. They're getting paid the money. Why are – how come well, my team – knew this for a while. Like, he went from at the beginning of last year stating that no matter what the contract situation was, he wasn't going to sit out. He wasn't going to do that. He wanted to be a Jet, and he legit wanted to be a Jet. Now, now we have a situation where Jamal Adams, he's not even telling the Jets to pay him anymore. He's just saying, I want out. 
Like, yeah. we're, we've gone beyond the pay me point with Jamal Adams. He said, I want out. But let's go to the other part of this segment. Now, to compound the Jets' problems, you know, Ian Eagle a few weeks back, right, said to us that the, the AFC East was the most wide open it's ever been in years. That is officially over. That door is closed. That time has passed. Big news, Cam Newton signs a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. It's incentive-laden, and if he gets through and does all the incentives, mm-hmm. he will make $7.75 million. Mm-hmm. And then if Belichick likes his work, they'll actually franchise tag Cam for $26.4 million next season. Less money than he was paying Tom, than they were going to pay Tom Brady by a lot. So you're saving money, getting a younger quarterback, physically better quarterback. And I'm sorry, the situation in Carolina wasn't that great for a very long time. Gone were the days of Rivera and championships and potential Super Bowl opportunities. Cam Newton... And and let me. I know what everybody's gonna say, but he didn't run at the fumble. He didn't run for the fumble. One play. But how do you know he has that fire to win? Bill Belichick signed him. Bill Belichick signed him. So to me, the Buffalo Bills are completely unproven. The Miami Dolphins are are going to forever be in eight and eight hell until something happens. Well, they got Tua now. They're going to, they're going to get good when Tua starts. Maybe, maybe. And you, have a former, and you have a former Bill Belichick guy in Flores coaching the Dolphins and a lot of expatriates are there. A lot maybe. of expatriates. This is, yeah, that's the thing. Generally when the Patriots become expatriates, they become ex productive players too. So that's generally how Belichick does. He, uh, Brings them in, uses them up, and abandons them, and abandons on, abandons them on the street, and says, "Thanks for the time, guys. Bye." Um, so that that's how Belichick operates. So, if you think that Bill Belichick would have made that big of a miscalculation, and then I know the other argument people are going to bring up: Randy Moss. Look at how Randy Moss turned out. That blew up in Belichick's face. Yeah. Um, I'd rather if Cam blows up in his face after winning a Super Bowl. I'd say that's still a pretty good deal. Oh, I'm curious how new, what New England's going to do here because obviously Cam Newton is not just going to get given the starting job. He's going to have to earn it. Oh, yeah, he is. Jared Stidham, you have Jared Stidham, who at the time was going to be the starter. He's getting the – no, 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 no. They signed Cam Newton to be the starter. I, I am dead sure of that. So Incentive-ridden deal, they signed him to be the starter. Now, what Cam Newton will bring to the table, yes, he is a running back. He is a, he is a guy that can run with the ball, not just throw it. So you're going to have a double threat package with his arm and with his legs. You could always, you know, start Stidham and maybe have Cam run like a little package on like a wildcat or maybe have him run a little trick play here and there. Do you, you know, know what else Cam could do? You can, you can really implement him a lot of ways. Cam plus Edelman in the backfield with whatever running back the Patriots have. Sonny Michelle. Sonny Michelle, yes. Um, Michelle, Newton, and Edelman in the backfield. That's sick. That's like sickening to imagine, especially with Cam Newton, who knows how to, once again, another quarterback who knows how to run the football, who knows about offensive protections. By the way, the New England Patriots offensive line will protect Cam Newton, unlike what Carolina's did. The running backs will actually know where to go, unlike Carolina. The Patriots are the most well-coached team in football, I, as much as I hate to say it, genuinely believe Bill Belichick is the best coach in NFL history, bar none. In the period and the days of free agency, he still managed to build a dynasty that's still going to this day. I mean, Belichick and Brady have broken up, but remember that the, that first season started with Bledsoe as the quarterback until Brady came in later on in the season. So, so just because the Brady's part in the dynasty is over. It doesn't mean that the dynasty is any sort of over. No. The day the Patriot dynasty dies is when Belichick is not there. When Belichick decides, I'm hanging him up. I can't coach anymore. I guarantee you. Let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you when that's going to happen. Ready? 
Belichick will retire and not coach anymore the first time the New England Patriots fail to make the, the NFL playoffs. It's pretty bold. It's pretty bold. I do not think Bill Belichick would be able to live with himself if a team he coached didn't make the playoffs. So, now that you put Cam Newton into the mix, originally Ian Eagle believed the, the AFC East was very wide open. You don't think it's wide open anymore? Nope, I don't. Because the New England Patriots have an MVP – a former MVP, a former NFC champion, started in a Super Bowl. So if anybody was there and willing to judge that situation, it was Bill Belichick. Because Belichick still, watched it live on the sidelines, watched that fumble, watched that play. Still, though. Saw that. Knows exactly who did that and knows exactly what player was responsible for that. And he still signed him. Fair enough. Now – as much as I think the Cam Newton move will be great for New England, I think it will be fine. I think New England is definitely still going to be a threat in the East. I don't but think you see a drop-off in quarterback play. We'll see what happens, but I still think that AFC East, you have, you have a lot more balance in that East than you've had in years. You have Tua, who's going to get his shot with the Dolphins. I would not sleep on him. Buffalo, we've already seen what Josh Allen can do. That Buffalo defense is deadly. They have a great running attack. Sean McDermott, I trust him anywhere I go. And then, of course, the Jets beefed up their O-line. They got a lot of pieces in the draft. They got upgrades for Sam Darnold. I would not sleep on the Jets either. This AFC East, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a little more competitive than it's been in a long time. But Don't for believe now, John. Ah. But for now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Keith Smith, NBA insider of Yahoo Sports, will join us to discuss kind of the timeline of the NBA and from where it began to where we are now in the era of COVID-19. Have a fun season, Patriots fans. You're going to win another AFC championship. Back after this. And welcome back to Downtown Sports. I'm John Schiavone, the Mouth of the South, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, and... We're going to get into our special NBA segment that we were talking about in the beginning of the show, and we're going to find out everything soup to nuts, what is happening down there. There are so many reports, who's getting coronavirus, who's getting shut down, what's going on. There's so much stuff to actually go through that it boggles my mind, so uh, me and John figured we needed some help. John, please introduce our special guest who's going to help us Go through all of this so we can actually understand what is happening in Orlando. Please take With it pleasure. away. With pleasure, John. As the COVID pandemic now is continuing to spike at a rapid rate, the NBA is about to begin its return. None other than in the state of Florida, where now the virus is beginning to soar exponentially. Joining us here to discuss the NBA is Yahoo Sports insider, Mr. Keith Smith. Keith, thank you so much for taking a few minutes here to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So first, I hope everything is well with you. Everybody in Florida, I hope, is, is okay. The, the storm has really now started to come in as far as COVID-19 is concerned. We're doing okay, you know, in our immediate family here. We're, we're all, you know, staying in as much as possible when we need to go out. We're wearing our masks and doing all those things. Orange County, where we live, is back under a mandatory mask uh, order, which is, is a good thing. And hopefully, you know, folks are following it. I was actually at the grocery store this morning, and I didn't see anybody without a mask on, which is a, you know, a big positive, uh, especially compared to maybe four or five days ago when it would have been, you know, half the people in the store at most. So, so I think people are finally getting it and, you know, starting to, to do the right thing uh, for, you know, the greater good for all. So ho hopefully it'll continue that way and we'll all be all right. Good. All right. So let's dive right in. Uh, we'll start with the NBA and I want you to take us back a little bit. March, the NBA season was halted. COVID-19 first appeared on the scene. Talk to us, take us back a little bit in time now with the NBA. They Announced they were going to return about May. They were going to come back in late Jul in July. So talk to us and really take us back to where we have been from March, getting up to now with the NBA. Sure. Yeah. It, March 11th was the last day of games, and there were a, a bunch of um, 
you know, it really got to be a, a real, you know, kind, kind of a mess, um, you know, right away that night. We, they, they were in the middle of games, and we heard Rudy Gobert had tested positive. If you remember back earlier that day, he had uh, touched a bunch of reporters, microphones and phones and all sorts of things and recorders and, and all that. And that was, you know, not a great look. Um, you know, now we're not going to beat up on the guy he didn't know. And, you know, he's just trying to, you know, be funny and lighten the mood a little bit. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so then uh, they, they shut things down. They called off that game and then there were still a couple games yet to tip that night and they were uh, still moving forward and then pretty quickly said, you know what, we're not going to do those either. And then it was real quick uh, later that night was, you know, everything is suspended indefinitely. When I think back on that, I think back to, it was very much the feeling of, all right, a couple weeks, we're going to shut this thing down, get out in front of it, and then we'll all get back at this, and they'll add a couple weeks to the season, and, and off we go. And then clearly that became not a um, – not the thing, right? We, we uh, real quickly learned that it was going to be months and months and, um, you know, rumors of, you know, how could the NBA restart and, uh, you know, where could they do this and cruise ships and private islands and all sorts of crazy ideas that were out there. And, you know, let's, let's do this, let's do that. And all those things started to become very clear, like, all right, some of these are, are, you know, good ideas. Some of them aren't. And they ultimately chose Walt Disney world now about a month or so ago, um, and then it really you know, started to progress uh, into more certainty that they were going to do this. And then just in the last uh, few days, we got the schedule and everything's now going to tip off here in about a month. Uh, actually, a month from today from when we're recording this will be the first games. Teams start arriving here at Walt Disney World next week. And I say here because I'm in Orlando. I'm just off Disney property. Um, so they'll they'll all be uh, here pretty soon. And that'll be, you know, how the season will go go down from there. Hopefully, you know, they'll be able to pull this off and, and finish without uh, any real issues the rest of the way. Well, um, speaking, well, it seems that's just thrown straight to the wayside with the news that the Denver Nuggets have now had to shut down their training facilities due to COVID-19. A few of their players have tested positive. We've now had a few Pelicans testing positive. Um, is there anything that could possibly happen that would put a death nail in the Orlando plan before it starts? Yeah, I think if you started having teams come down with the inability to bring a real roster down I think that would start to be a problem I think uh, you know cases are not in a good place here although they have gone down over the last couple of days so you know we're gonna take what we can get with that and hopefully that's a, a positive so it will you know, we'll ultimately see uh, where that goes but I, I don't think so I, I think we are you know they're going to move forward with this you know outside of you know maybe an entire team all of a sudden is hey they can't come for some reason we haven't seen you know real lot of opt-outs we've seen a good amount but no um nothing that a team you know can't necessarily deal with or handle outside of maybe the Brooklyn Nets who are struggling a little bit but I think the challenge there is um you know, or not the challenge, the good news there is that allows them to feel that they can continue to move forward. So I think that is the plan for, I don't think, I know that is the plan for now. And, and we're, we're going to ultimately see if they can, you know, pull, pull this thing off here in, you know, the next couple of weeks and then over the span of the next several months. Talking with Keith Smith, NBA insider for Yahoo Sports. And, you know, it's very interesting. The Nets were brought up. DeAndre Jordan has already put his name out there he is not going to play he's opting out uh Fred Van Vliet another one has come forward uh, with the Raptors he's going to play but he's now even starting to question the timing of this now with the NBA restarting and knowing that the coronavirus is continuing to spike in Florida if any big name NBA player if like a LeBron James a Steph Curry if any of them are to test positive for COVID-19 we've already had Kevin Durant test positive if another of those big names test positive, could that be maybe a up uh, NBA better not maybe more players are going to come forward. We don't want to play. Is that going to really lead to lead to an exodus and maybe the NBA season could get derailed? No, I don't think it's going to take a big name. I think 
you know, enough guys who are very like DeAndre Jordan, as you mentioned, he's highly respected around the league as a veteran player. He's a guy a lot of people really like. Uh, so for him to um, test positive, that that's the kind of guy people would rally around and say, hey, wait a minute, like, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. So I think it would take, you know, lots of big numbers as opposed to big names to test positive before anybody's going to say, yeah, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Um, you know, the difference with uh, Toronto with Fred Van Vliet is already here in Florida. They've been here for about a week now. Um, they, they, in order to avoid the whole going back and forth over the Canadian border, they decided let's just all group up and uh, we'll go to Florida. And that's where we'll do, do our, uh, our, you know, kind of pre-work here, our voluntary workouts and all that. And then we'll move into the Disney campus in the uh, you know, beginning of July with everybody else. So, so they've been here for a little bit, but I, I don't think a big name is going to do anything, especially you, you mentioned Steph Curry. He's not even playing. So I don't think anybody really, you know, that's not going to impact anybody. The Warriors aren't a part of this restart. Yeah, yeah well, and, and, and you know, so I don't. I mean, think if LeBron any- caught it, though, I mean, honestly, if LeBron James, if LeBron James gets coronavirus, uh, I mean, that that's not going to stop the NBA. But um, no. I just want to move forward into sure. their living situation in Orlando and their living situation in Disney. We hear a whole bunch of different ideas of where players going to stay, which hotels. Um, Exactly what kind of amenities are these guys going to be receiving? We're hearing everything from they're just getting a they're just getting room and board to they have they get a bottle service delivered to their room, hollandaise sauce with crab cakes and all this <laughs> other stuff. Like exactly what is going to be the lifestyle of the NBA player in the bubble city? Yeah, this is not Joe's roadside motel where you put a quarter in the bed and it vibrates. Yeah. Um, that, that's not the case here. So what they're going to have is they are going to have um, you know, really nice setups in each one of the resorts. There's three resorts that the NBA is using. Uh, mm-hmm. The teams that are expected to be there the longest are going to be at Coronado Springs and the Grand Destino Tower. Uh, that mm-hmm. opened about a year ago. It's, it's really nice. It's, it hasn't had very many guests in it because uh, it opened only about a year ago and then didn't even stay open long enough to have that many people in there. So that's a really, uh, you know, going to be a nice setup. The Grand Floridians where the kind of mid-range teams, the teams that are expected to make the playoffs but not stay in a long time are going to stay. And then the Yacht Club is where the teams that are, you know, they're, they're coming and trying to fight their way into the playoffs. That's where they're going to stay. And what ultimately they're going to do is they're going to have, um, they're going to set up through the catering and convention teams. They're going to set up, uh, you know, menus for them that they can order off of in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening. Um, they're also going to do team dining, which is, that's very common um, a lot on uh, road games and the like for teams. So they're going to set that up for them. Um, and then as far as the amenities go, they're going to have access to the pools, all the walking trails are going to have gyms set up in these uh, places because all these have convention centers as well. Um, so they're going to have those set up for the players to, to do their thing. And then they'll be able to, um, you know, play cards and the like. There was even in the health and safety protocols uh, documents on, um, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, do the um, playing cards need to be recycled at the end of each use and those kind of things. So that gives you in uh, it, window into the effort and care and thoughtfulness that were put in to the safety protocols is that's what they're trying to do. Sounds interesting. I think it's a good, it's a very good plan, at least for the players, how the NBA is going to, to do this. I like to also know about the production side of things for the announcers, for cameramen, et cetera. How, how are they going to be taken care of? Are they going to do the games in the arena? Are they going to do it remotely? What is the plan for the NBA going forward with the production side of the games? Yeah, so the the camera crews will all be there. Now, I don't think a lot of people know, even when it's like a big national game, it's usually a local crew that does the camera work. They, they don't necessarily, it's not like the NFL where they pack up and travel to a new city each week um, because the NBA is bouncing all over the, the country all the time. It's usually a local crew. So they've got a lot of local people um, here in the area that they'll be the ones that will be primarily responsible for that side. As far as the broadcasters go in the early portions, they are not going to be on site. They're, they're going to be uh, calling games remotely from a studio. Um, and that'll be how that'll work. And then it sounds like when we get down to, 
about the uh, conference finals or so, uh, maybe uh, the second round of the playoffs. It hasn't been fully uh, mapped out and determined, but that's when the national announcers will um, likely arrive on site and then they'll call the games on site um, from that point forward. But while there's the full teams and they're playing the eight um, regular season seeding games is what they're calling them. Those will all be done uh, remotely, including the local broadcast teams on the regional sports networks. So they won't be there. You're not going to have any of the sideline interviews like you see on the national games or anything like that. It's going to be, you know, a lot more uh, just to, you know, go out, play the basketball game and, and get out of there. Very summer league style. Um, I, I've jokingly been calling it summer league with stakes. So that's really kind of what we got going on. Well, summer league with stakes. That's exactly it. So let's talk about this summer league with stakes. Um, what teams do you honestly think have a chance to actually fight their way into this playoff scenario realistically? I mean, I know where the, I, I think the NBA wants to see it go because <laughs> I think they literally set this up to get Zion Williamson into whatever restart the NBA was going to have. Because if it didn't, all that promo that you gave him all year long would have went to about a half of a season injured and then off because of his team not being able to qualify for the playoffs. So I know what the NBA is going for, but what do you think might happen in terms of teams rated, like seated like seven through 10, specifically in the West? I think in the East, we know who we might get or not for the most part, but specifically in the Western Conference. Yeah, even in the in the East, it's pretty cut and dry. Even with the Brooklyn Nets bringing, uh, you know, two NBA players and in the three of us on this broadcast to fill out their roster, um, <laughs> I think that they're still probably going to make it. They're just, you know, uh, you know, far enough ahead that I think it's, um, you know, they're they're going to be okay. It's just such an uphill battle for the Wizards to pass either the Nets or the Magic. So what you're looking at here with the um, in the West is what they did with the Pelicans. And this is interesting. The Pelicans had the NBA's easiest schedule to close the season before everything uh, went on pause. And it was by far and away the easiest schedule. Like it was pretty um, light. They, they had a couple games against the Cavs left. I think they might have had a game against the Warriors. Like they had a lot of winnable games down the stretch. So I think they made sure to give them as easy a schedule as possible uh, the rest of the way. Now you could say, yeah, well, that's, because the way it was matched up or it's because it's Zion it's it's a mix of both you know if you're just you know really looking at it objectively um you know they want to you know make sure that they take care of the team and give them a shot there so what do I think is going to happen I do think the Pelicans are going to chase down the um Grizzlies and force the play in but by virtue of having to beat the Grizzlies twice I don't think they're going to be able to do that I think the Grizzlies are a good enough team that they'll get one of those wins and Memphis will ultimately get into that eight seed well, speaking of that, uh, Keith, I'm looking at the NBA's seeding games, and of the 22 teams that are going to make up who gets in, there'll be eight seeding games for all 22 teams. The Pelicans' schedule, I'm looking at it right now, they're going to take on the Kings twice, the Spurs, the Magic, the Wizards, the Jazz, and the Clippers. In fact, the NBA season for this will return on July 30th, and they will be part of a doubleheader on TNT. They mm -hmm. will take on the Jazz to kick things off. What are your thoughts based on the schedule that the Pelicans are going to have, knowing they have to play the Kings twice, they have to play the Grizzlies in that third game or so, and they're going to lead off with the Jazz, and knowing the, what you're going to have to kind of match up with here against the meat of the Eastern Conference and a mix of the Western Conference – what chances do you see for the Pelicans against this schedule? Yeah, I think they're going to do well. I think that they were really playing good basketball uh, down the stretch before things paused. So I, I think they're just going to keep, keep uh, you know, moving along there. And I think that they will um, ultimately be the ones who, um, you know, may make it in um, to that play-in round. But then, again, it's because they've got to beat the Grizzlies twice. I think that's just going to be tough for them. Now, the other important thing is that they don't have any um, – 
players that they have, uh, you know, not necessarily ruled out, but no one has opted out of the Pelicans. I would have put the Trailblazers in there. It's having a really good shot because that's just the level of respect I have for Damian Lillard as well as CJ McCollum. Um, but without Trevor Ariza, that's going to be a, that's a huge loss for them. He he was really important. He was really kind of the only true small forward that they had on the roster. He's probably their best defender in their starting five. So that's going to be a pretty big loss. So I I am and now you know, uh, a little less high on their chances. So I think, again, the Pelicans, they're, they're going to chase down Memphis. And they're going to force the play in. But then you got to beat them twice in a row. And that, that's a hard thing to do in the NBA, you know, when teams are relatively equal. So I'm going to still get to say Memphis, you know, gets a win in the play in, and that's how they get in. Um, well, let's move on to a team that I think absolutely nobody has any hope in, in the Utah Jazz. I think a lot of people are underestimating uh, – their chances. Not that I don't think that, you know, the fighting between Mitchell and Rudy Gobert isn't toxic, but there's been so many years where everybody's picked them as the sleeper team, like that team that could really pick off a good team in a series if they catch them right, or, you know, that team that everybody just looks at that they want to pick. Now they're the unsexy pick because they, some NBA fans even blame the Utah Jazz for the NBA season going awry in the first place. So, First off, how is the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert at this point? Are they even going to be able to play on the court together at this point? And what yeah, do they you should see be them fine. doing? Yeah, they should be fine. It sounds like every indication are that those two two are they've put it behind them and they're they're moving forward. That's been from what the team has said. That's what uh, those who are close to the situation have said off the record as well. So so I think they're uh, going to be be just fine. I'm not really concerned about it. I think it was a, you know, it was an emotional time and you know a reaction where neither guy was real happy and you know now they'll they'll move forward. As far as them on the court, challenge for them is they lost Boyan Bogdanovich who was playing fantastic for them. He had really given them that secondary score alongside Donovan Mitchell that they needed. He was a guy who could create offense late in the shot clock uh, when things broke down. Utah runs a really sophisticated system where they run more sets and stuff uh, than most people do. And that is, um, you know, that's, that's, both good and bad when you have that really cranking and running you can create offense very easily out of it but when you see the same team four five six seven times in a seven game series the challenge is then they start to know what your stuff is and when that's when you need creators to be able to step up when the teams are like we know what this set is going to be we're going to take that away and they're going to have to go to something else and when it all breaks down their challenge for the last couple of years has been it's been all Donovan Mitchell and there was nobody else to really help him create offense and that makes it really hard so I think what is um you know they're gonna have to do now is they're gonna need to get a lot out of Mike Conley because they they had really used Bogdanovich was that second guy he was that guy who was that second offensive creator alongside Mitchell now they need Conley to be the guy to step up challenge now really comes in though the west is so deep it's going to be really hard. They're just not quite as good as those top four teams there in the West. They're probably maybe on equal footing with Oklahoma City, but I might even put them behind them as well, maybe even behind Dallas, who is really starting to play pretty good down the stretch. So I think it's going to be you know interesting to see how they pull it off and how it comes together. Uh, last question here, Keith, and this is a big one. We just talked about the West, and – as if they couldn't get any stronger, and I'm talking about the Lakers now, they are about to finalize a deal to land J.R. Smith to join LeBron James. So you already have a deep roster with the Lakers, with LeBron, with Anthony Davis. Now you add J.R. Smith, a lethal three-point shooter. How much will this signing really take the Lakers from up to the top in another level here as far as challenging for the NBA title? I actually don't think it's going to have an impact at all. I, I don't think a guy who's been out of the league for an entire year is going to come in and all of a sudden be, you know, a key rotation player. It just doesn't work that way. Thank you. you know, so, so that's my, uh, you know, the, sorry to, you know, Thank throw you. cold water. No, 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 on no. Don't be sorry. I had this argument with him before the show. I'm but, like, you know, why are we talking about this guy who yeah. couldn't even get on the Knicks anymore? I just, I just, I just, I just don't, I see it being, you know, you're asking a lot of J.R. Smith to, yeah. you know, come in and, and be a major impact. That said, I do think the Avery Bradley loss is pretty big for them. Um, the uh -huh. fact that he's not going to play, and I say that with full respect 
um, for Avery Bradley's decision. He made the absolute right decision for himself and his family um, before the Lakers. That's a huge loss. He's their point guard defender in that starting five because LeBron probably plays point guard on defense. He does not do that offensively. So it's really um, Avery Bradley who that falls to. And, um, you know, so that's going to be, be, you know, kind of, you know, tough for them to overcome. It's going to put a lot more pressure on Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Alex Caruso. And maybe they get something out of J.R. Smith. And let's not forget, they also signed Dion Waiters, um, which, you know, we, we all kind of collectively forgot because he hadn't played for them yet. Um, so they're going to have him. So they've got enough depth to get by, I think. But, you know, Avery Bradley is a pretty big loss for that group because of what he was doing for them defensively. Keith Smith, NBA insider, coming to you from Florida, Yahoo Sports. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. We greatly appreciate having a few minutes. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. You all stay safe, you and yours. We'll be right back with our third segment of Downtown Sports right after this. And we're back on Downtown Sports. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. This is where sports come home. And where are they going to come home to find and hear us, John? Yes, Siri. We are on CastBox, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Overcasts. Nine different platforms you can listen to Downtown Sports every Tuesday, Wednesday, with rants, episodes, every week there will be stuff coming up all the time every week you're going to want to hear it also uh just to let you guys know if you uh take a look at spotify and other places there, there's op- some of the um platforms i believe give an option to donate now show's free we have no content that we're making anybody pay for but if you like it and you want us to keep doing it um possibly think of you know monthly uh donation i think the denoms are 99 cents 4.99 and 9.99 a month um so it's not going to cost that much but if you like what you hear consider uh donating and uh, supporting us okay so we'd appreciate that if you guys did john um any any words of encouragement just keep listening keep tuning in there's more of these episodes to come as well as what I'm about to share with you right now. We need the, we need the clock. Yeah. Well. Major League Baseball. All, yeah, as all of you guys you know. Major League Baseball's coming You told me not to watch or read anything or look at anything having to do with baseball. You told me, yeah. once you saw things today, don't look at baseball. I said, okay, well, fine. Well, I'll, I'm more than happy to share with you what I found, and it's very interesting. First, just Start going to – the a- clock, Shane. <laughs> so, first, a few small things. A couple little moves have been made. Uh, first, the Mets made uh, three new additions to their club today. Oh, really? Actually. Uh, so, now Robinson Cano's buddy, Melky Cabrera, is coming to the Mets. Erasmo Ramirez and Gordon Beckham are going to join the New York Mets as of yesterday. Congratulations. So Mets will have some good veteran presences, a good outfielder in Melky, a, a good arm in Erasmo Ramirez was with the Rays for a bit. Gordon Beckham, a solid infielder. So we'll give the Mets a little depth. Mm-hmm. That. Yankees seem very optimistic, according to Brian Cashman, that Aaron Judge will be ready for opening day. That should be a very interesting. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wasn't, he gonna need shoulder surgery again a week ago yeah but it seems now that maybe things have changed maybe he recovered Pull that up because that makes no sense like i i feel like we're in an off timeline here like i stepped out of the house i stepped on something i stepped onto something and uh we, we changed timelines the last i heard was aaron judge was still hurt and still looking like he wasn't going to be able to start the year what's the difference is now well, according to MLB trade rumors, after months of uncertainty surrounding the status of Yankee slugger Aaron Judge, drum manager Brian Cashman said on a conference call today, the team is optimistic he'll be ready for the rescheduled opening day. And the Yanks are also optimistic Giancarlo Stanton will be ready in the DH slot. 
James Giancarlo Stanton was actually on uh, air today. He was on a uh, local radio station in New York City talking to a couple of people, um, stating that, and he actually had some very interesting things to say, Giancarlo Stanton. And the first thing he said that I found very interesting was he felt that it was going to be very difficult for players to follow and keep to all the social distancing rules and everything that Major League Baseball is going to be putting in place. It should be very interesting to see. James Paxton. He, he literally said, um, I don't think people are going to follow this. Well, this is going to be very interesting to see what happens as athletes are testing positive as we speak here. You know, well, you let's get back to the Yankees. Paxton's yeah. okay now, Paxton's finally healthy. Yeah, Paxton says he's ready to go. He had missed – he was going to be out before this with back surgery he had to undergo. And Aaron Hicks will be ready as well come opening day. So Off of Tommy John surgery? Yeah, he was coming up with Tommy John from a year ago. So this is very good. News. Right around the time of period of year where Didi Gregorius came back last year. So a few players have decided to opt out also as part of the concerns of COVID. Ian players- Desmond was the biggest one from what yeah, I understood. Desmond, yeah, Ian Desmond, he decided to opt out citing concerns. Now, I didn't hear the statement. Apparently, there was a long statement he put out on Instagram. Like, you know, and, and a lot of people are, are very mixed on what he said. So, John, instead of debating it back and forth, what, what was it? Just straight away. Desmond explains that the COVID-19 pandemic has made this baseball season one that is a risk I'm not comfortable taking. He says he's compelled to stay home with his pregnant wife and his children. Listen, family comes first. A lot of people need to understand that. With a pregnant wife and four young children who have lots of questions about what's going on in the world, I can feel where he's coming from. It's not it's not worth playing and risking your health. You have a I mean, pregnant health. wife. That, yeah. uh, those are the two words that really make me understand Ian Desmond's point of view. Pregnant the wife. The same can be said for Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross opting out from the Nationals. Mainly uh, Zimmerman's concern, of course, was he has a newborn daughter at home. And his mother and that's a, and this could be the last year of Ryan Zimmerman's career. Like, let's we be real. A lot of people were thinking 2020 might be his swan song, his retirement. I thought last year was going to be at the Nationals. Nationals won the World Series. That would have been a perfect way for Zimmerman to go out. But one of the player of the year, you know, got to yeah. give him credit. Mike Leake is another one that's choosing not to play. Another pitcher on the big-name circuit that decided also he is going to opt out. So now here's my other couple of questions. Now, we heard a lot of talk from, uh, Trout and, from Mike Trout and Zach Wheeler at the beginning of all of this. Mm-hmm. What are their statuses? Is Wheeler going to be showing up to Phillies camp? Is Trout going to be showing up to – Angels camp. Are these people actually showing up? Right now, we don't we don't really have uh, info on that for sure. Right now, Trout haven't really heard very much. As for Wheeler, I know Wheeler put out a statement in March saying that he didn't want to play pregnant wife. Yeah, that's what Wheeler said early on. I'm curious if he will if he will stick by that. That's a very interesting question. Will he stick by it? I mean, he had mentioned he was not going to miss his child's birth if MLB plays in isolation. He hinted that back in March. Yeah, but was his was his fear isolation or getting COVID in the first place? I think the uh, I I would think like the uh, the whole isolating because of COVID, you know, not being around his family and all that for the number of times his family have to isolate, he'll have to isolate. Those are things you really, as a player, take into account. It's not always about the money you make or about the position you play. It's not always about the game. Sometimes there are things in life bigger than the game. All right. And now let's get to – we actually have something to tell you that's real or tangible in sports. Guess what? A game is scheduled. Yes. It's going to be on July 23rd. Now, I I temper all of this with if the virus allows – Everything is tempered by if the virus allows. So if the virus allows, the first game of the MLB shortened summer, whatever the hell this is called. I don't know if this is a season or if this is like a 60 games. games. That's all it is. It's a 60 game season. You'll have the playoffs and the world series, Yeah, but it will be a season. So game one is going to be Yankees nationals at national park. Versus Scherzer. Olin Scherzer. Nationals Park, Washington, D.C. Hey, in a normal world, I'd love that matchup. I mean, if this was normal right now, I'd be, I'd be screaming for this matchup every day of my life. A perfect rematch from Game 7 of the World Series in which Garrett Cole never had a chance to play. You know what I think is going to be funny? What I think is going to be funny? Yep. 
This is going to be the one time Donald Trump goes out to throw the first pitch where he doesn't get booed out of the stadium. Oh, my God. This oh, is going to be the first time Donald Trump or Pence or somebody from the U.S. government is going to get on the mound and throw the first pitch and they're not going to get booed, only because there's no fans there. So um, I'm sure if there was a fan, maybe some of the production people might boo from the uh, – Boo from uh, wherever they are, but it's not going to be audible. Yeah. Well, let's go to the uh, – but now let's go to the real news here. Real news. Uh, yeah. So this baseball. wasn't the real news? No, this is the big news. Uh, baseball has announced its rule changes that are going to take effect for this 2020 season. So, first, let's, uh, let's go right through it. The on-field rules. The National League is going to utilize the designated hitter for this year. All right, let's begin with that. So we knew that was going to happen. We knew they well, were doing the DH. Yeah, I mean, like, look, long overdue. I think the National League should have done this for a long time. But now I here's you're all. I think you're all – I think you all just, like, I don't know, you like to treat pitchers like special people. Like, for some reason, like, Lord forbid, Lord forbid, yeah, when Cole gets up and grabs a bat and then he swings at the ball and then he had to run the bases and get hurt. Oh, my God. Well speaking, of, well, speaking of bases, this is the next interesting bit. You remember when baseball talked about it in a, about a rule change of starting and inning off with a runner on base? Oh, please tell me that. No. The batter or a substitute for the batter who leads off an inning shall continue to be the batter who would lead off. Okay, blah, 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 in the absence of this extra inning. So, yeah, the, an extra innings rule will begin each extra inning with a runner on second base. What kind of – The batter or a substitute for the batter who leads off an inning shall continue to be the batter who would lead off the inning in the absence of this extra inning rule. Yes, the, so. runner, the runner placed on second base at the start of each half inning shall be the player or a substitute for such player in the batting order immediately preceding that half inning's leadoff hitter. By way of example, if the number five hitter in the batting order is due to lead off the 10th inning, the number four player in the batting order or a pinch runner shall begin the inning on second base. So you're telling me that we could be in a situation where all a team has to do – hold on, hold on. All a team has to do to win an extra innings game is to put a fast run on second and hit two fly balls to anywhere deep in the outfield. It could be over on one pitch if the guy gets a base hit. So explain to me how you could literally make two outs – no contact, and still score a run without putting anyone on base. Okay. If you would have said to me, the runner starts on first, a base hit's not going to win the game, two fly balls are not going to win the game, you would have to actually accomplish something in order to get the runner home. Here, yes. all you really have to do is get bat on ball, ball in air. There's no strategy involved in that. Yeah. All you do is whoever is, the, whoever is the person that you're taking out of the lineup, you pinch run them for the fastest guy on your bench, and you just send them on fly balls. And then if you're the defense, what you do is you pitch incessantly low – to get ground ball outs. You're literally taking the strategy away from baseball. It's a little, it's a little bit easier. Um, just bunt the ball to the right side. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is now going to start teaching players now to start playing fundamental baseball. Shane Sullivan from behind the glass. Yes, fundamental baseball, because now you actually have to – you don't have to actually accomplish a hit or a double or a home run to score in this new format. All you need, you're right. Shane is right. Bunt up the right, bunt up the right side towards the first baseline. Get to third. Bunt up the third baseline. Run home and run over the catcher. Done. Bunt up the first baseline. Oh, wait, I got another way to do it. How about this? Steal third on the first pitch because no one's going to expect that. Yeah. Then fly ball to go home. Game Literally, over. you've had to do absolutely nothing to score a run. Let me continue some more into the rule changes a little bit more. For purposes of calculating earned runs, particularly when you start that inning with a runner on base, because, hey, that wasn't the pitcher who put him on. Mm -hmm. The runner who begins an inning 
on second base pursuant to this rule shall be deemed to be a runner who has reached second base because of a fielding error, but no error shall be charged to the opposing team or to any player. So they're going to treat this runner on base as if he reached on an error. So basically, let me explain what this means in real life for baseball fans out there. So what that means is the runner on second is actually a force ghost, okay? It's like a force ghost that appears. It's like when Obi-Wan appears to Luke in Star Wars, okay? That runner is just going to magically materialize as a force ghost. And he's going to be there because he never got there. He wasn't put there. No one counts him except for the final score. So, yeah. All right, let's keep it going. Also, the new three-batter minimum rule is also going to be in effect. Don't forget that now. Wait a minute. So we're doing that ridiculous nonsense where every pitcher has to face three batters now? Yeah. So now we're taking out bullpen strategy. We're taking out end-of-game strategy. We're taking away – No lefty-righty specialists. That's out the window now. No more. So the, and you're telling me that they think starting pitchers aren't going to go four innings? I think you might see a situation this season where a smart team might actually put might actually put the 10 starters in their rotation. Yeah. Or 10 so, starter type level pitchers in their rotation because you're going to need guys to go two or three innings. Yeah. So as previously announced, the new three-batter minimum rule will require the starting or any relief pitcher to pitch to a minimum of three batters, including the batter then at bat or any substitute, until such batters are put out or reach base or until the offensive team is put out unless the substitute pitcher sustains injury or illness. So wait a minute. Now, so wait a minute. If you bring in somebody to get out number three, that, requi- that fills the requirement? If a guy gets – if a pitcher gets hurt, let's say he got two outs, okay. Then okay, you have okay. To- no, 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 no. What I'm saying is this. Um, so three, the, the pitcher faces three batters, right? That's two yeah. outs, runner on first. Um, Aaron Boone goes to get somebody from the bullpen, right? They bring him in. That guy gets out number three of the inning. Is he mandated to pitch outs number one and two of the next inning? Or is that over? Question. That's a very good question. I, I would think, yeah, if I had to, if I had to guess. Because the way you read the rule, it makes it sound like as if you could have your lefty and righty specialist as long as there's two outs in the inning and that's the last out. Because you said in that last line, uh, it's until three batters have been played against or until the offensive team is out and that inning is over. Yeah, so I guess it'll be like, yeah, if he gets the one batter, I guess that's the only little time you'll see a batter maybe face one batter and that's it. Only in this rare regard should the pitcher you bring in get hurt if he happens to get injured. Only in Major League Baseball would they have an entire argument about a season completely 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 screw everything up to the point where no matter what happened or what they came up with they still were only going to have a 60 game season in the first place so if that was going to be the deal from day damn one they should have just said that and had baseball starting from july 4th that's what they should have done and now we're going to get a 60 game season that's going to look like a circus act wannabe like off-Broadway production of baseball versus actual baseball. Then on top of that, the product's going to suffer. And then the last thing that I want to close the show off with before I hand it to Beast to sign us off, one more big announcement that I heard that Beast told me about earlier in the day. Officially, even though we all knew this was going to happen, this is about as surprising as water being wet. Um, The minor league season 2020 has been officially canceled. So, the only way teams will be able to replenish their rosters is through whatever players they're going to have on that 50-person taxi squad. That's going to be uh, pretty crazy. I mean, where are these, uh, where are these minor leaders going to be staying? Are they going to be staying near the stadium that they happen to be at? And be ready? like John Carlos Stanton said earlier in the day, and you can go pull that interview up wherever, but as John Carlos Stanton said earlier in the day today, he thinks it's going to be very hard to for players to really follow all the social distancing rules that they're putting into effect. What makes you think any sort of minor league player that could be called on to maybe join a taxi squad, even though their season has been canceled, what makes you think unemployed people are going to follow rules to maybe get a shot at playing baseball this year? Things, Not going to happen. Things that Commissioner Manfred did not think about. 
I don't think Commissioner Manfred knows what to think unless it's told to him. Yeah. So, yeah, and of course, all the other rules. Uh, Steinbrenner's got a hand up his <laughs> telling him what to say, along with Fred Wilpon. Just to the brief, uh, and just to kind of wrap it up, the social distancing rules will be observed. Uh, no spitting, no spitting out sunflower seeds or peanut shells, tobacco. Players have to carry a small wet rag in their back pocket for moisture instead of licking their fingers. You're going Players to have to carry a what in their back pocket? Pictures may carry a small wet rag in their back pocket to be used for moisture. Oh, so they got to have a wet nap in their back pocket. Yes, yeah, so they can't lick the ball. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they do that a lot. You see it. How many, yeah. liquors are, how many liquors do you think are in Major League Baseball that are going to all of a sudden have their entire routine oh, messed okay. up and now have a bad season? Every pitcher is going to do that. Look, I am sure you're going to see bloated ERAs. You're going to see some insane batting averages that we're never going to see again. Watch your assessment is hit 420. Hey, how long has it been since somebody even hit 400? Ted Williams, let's go back in time. That was the last time anyone hit 400 in the major leagues. The best streak we've ever had through 60 games, I believe. I forgot the player's name, but he hit 409, and it was recently. Chipper Jones in 2008 batted 409. Playing in Are we going to see somebody actually beat that? Well, you mentioned Jeff McNeil. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody could break it. It's McNeil. That guy is a hitting machine. Yeah. Every, every time you watch him, he'll get – He'll give you about two, three hits a game. That's how Labor Torres, if he stays healthy. Yeah, Labor's a good possibility, too. We're going to see – Betts can do we're it. Going, um, we're going to see players crack 400. Maybe Trout will do it. Who knows? We're going to see players putting up records this year that we have not seen in over 50 years. Only because We're going to see a very weird season. A lot of things we haven't seen before. But at least for now, if the virus allows – Baseball. We can at least talk about potential matchups for the first time in months. And it feels good. And with that, we're going to close out downtown sports. I'm John Schiavone, the mouth of the South. That's the beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. Before I hand it off to the beast to close the show, I want to thank Shane Sullivan behind the glass. I want to thank Krista Large and Tony Manville, our research team. John, sign us off, bro. Want to also thank Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports for joining us on our NBA discussion today. Reminder fans, you can listen to our podcast on Castbox, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Overcasts. We are on every Tuesday, Wednesday, rants, episodes, you name it. We will have them up every week. Please listen in, donate whatever you can to our brand. Please listen in to Downtown Sports. Because that's who we are. We are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. Jonathan Pariente, Beast of the East, Mouth of the South, John Schiavone, saying out.